today is for the northwest to Torhead, Belfast to Banbridge, and across to Fermanagh. In other words, it's going to be lashing all over the country. Johnny's right. Best again. A glorious goal by Best. Hello everyone and welcome to Barry Phillips Meets. My name is Barry Phillips and my guest today is Marie Anderson of the Public Services Ombudsman for Northern Ireland. Marie lives in Hollywood with her husband and three sons. She's a solicitor by profession, having practiced in both the public and private sectors. She was the Assistant Information Commissioner for Northern Ireland for five years and Deputy Ombudsman for seven she became the first ever Public Services Ombudsman for Northern Ireland in April 2016. She's also the Northern Ireland Local Government Commissioner for Standards and the Northern Ireland Judicial Appointments Ombudsman. She has recently been recommended for the post of Police Ombudsman for Northern Ireland by the Secretary of State, following the footsteps of Dr Michael Maguire. Marie was instrumental in pushing through the bill, which eventually became the Northern Ireland Public Services Ombudsman's Act. This was groundbreaking legislation and is the most modern piece of ombudsman legislation in the UK. Marie worked alongside the Human Rights Commission to develop a human rights approach to the ombudsman's work, relying heavily on what is known as the Frieda Principles, adherence to the underlying core values of fairness, respect, equality, dignity and autonomy. Since heading up the Ombudsman's office, his work has gained a reputation for producing leading-edge public sector scrutiny and accountability. Marie has demonstrated a vision and direction for the office that many other Ombudsmen nationally and internationally look to for both guidance and inspiration. She's also regarded by many as one of the most effective communicators around not only interpersonally, but also from the podium. At a recent Legal Island conference speaking to school principals, she scored a mightily impressive 4 out 4.85 out of 5 on the conference feedback forms, making her just one of very few speakers for Legal Island that have nudged close to the perfect score of 5. Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Barry, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. That was an impressive introduction. I hope I can live up to it. Well, I, I hope you recognised yourself. I'm sure you did. I'm sure bits, you did. Bits of it, bits yeah. Of it. Okay. Um, Marie, Ombudsman, it, it strikes me as kind of ironic. Um, I suppose I'm curious that the person who has given real shape and meaning to the role of public services Ombudsman is actually a woman. Um, does the title of your post ever irk you or, or irritate you at all? No, not at all, because ombudsman is a Swedish word and it's gender neutral. It was interesting when the legislation that you mentioned was going through the Assembly. There was a great debate about should it be ombudsperson or ombudswoman or ombuds. But in the end, they plunked for ombudsman, and I'm quite, I'm quite content with that. It doesn't, it doesn't irk me at all. You know, it doesn't. No. Okay, and I understand it's originally from Sweden. Is the, yes, uh, was that the country to first have an ombudsman? Yes, yes. Yeah? more than more than two hundred years ago. So Sweden yeah. was the first, and the ombudsman. The idea behind the ombudsman has been called the Tribune of the People. Okay, but it's it, it, it's about holding. The, the government to account. It's about reflecting 
the citizen's experience, the mm -hmm. little man's experience, back to bureaucracy. Some people might call it, you know, and I use the phrase occasionally, it's about humanizing bureaucracy. Yes, okay. It's about saying here are your processes, here are your policies, mm -hmm. but this is the impact on the individual. And had you thought about, it's yes. all about fairness. Yes, actually. okay. And what is it about the public services ombudsman in Northern Ireland that makes it a little bit special or even unique? Because I'm, I'm told it is different to your equivalent in GB or perhaps in, in Ireland. So what's actually special and different about your post or the office here? Well, there's a number of significant differences. First of all, the breadth of the jurisdiction. Um, the, um, you know, I'm responsible uh, currently for complaints about across the public sector in Northern Ireland, all public services, health, social care, education, planning, central, local government. <coughs> and Transport? Uh, not transport, okay. not transport, uh, not, not translink, um, but certainly, you know, in terms of departments and, and their issues, DVA, mm -hmm. um, for instance, is included, and a number of other bodies, uh, other oversight bodies are also in my jurisdiction, uh, Equality Commission, um, Children's Commissioner, Older Persons Commissioner, the breadth of jurisdiction. I think the other thing that's quite significant is that I'm the first UK Ombudsman to have own initiative powers. And I, that, I drew down that power last April, and that means that I actually don't need a complaint from an individual to look at systemic maladministration or systemic injustice. Now, I can have a number of complaints that lead me to commence an own initiative, yeah. but I don't necessarily need a complaint. That's okay. a pretty groundbreaking power. Okay. And in the rest of the UK, no other ombudsman, although the Welsh ombudsman's about to get it, in the, in the rest of the UK, I'd say I probably have ombudsman envy. <laughs> that they, they would also like this part. And is it a an initiative that you've used very often? Well, we've now launched a proposal, uh, well, some months ago, um, in relation to looking at the process uh, concerning the PIP, um, Social Security Benefit. I've just launched a strategic inquiry in relation to the use of um, seclusion rooms to restrain children with mm -hmm. um with autism or Which has been in the press quite a bit yeah. or or you know learning disability yeah. so we've just looked we're just looking at that um but it's you know it's early days and we we're learning from the international ombudsman who have had this since day one yeah. i mean the irish ombudsman's had this power hasn't used it very often but has had this power since 1980 since the inception of the office yeah. so we're getting used to it um, but but I certainly think it sits nicely alongside the investigation of actual complaints about okay. maladministration and failures in care. Yes. So there's a, there's learning across those two jurisdictions. Right. I, th I think the other thing to say about this office is you know you've mentioned the three hats: judicial appointments, mm -hmm. local government standards, and ombudsman. But you know that that is a very unusual model. Yes, that's very unusual. You know I see it as a positive. Because across all three jurisdictions, the in, the core is about investigating complaints. Yes. Okay. And can you just very briefly touch on the other two and explain what the other two? Yes. Well, in, in terms of local government standards, uh, I can, although I've delegated authority to my deputy, I can investigate complaints about the local government code of conduct, and in relation to judicial appointments, that's complaints from qualifying candidates about the judicial appointments process. Okay. So again, complaints about processes, investigation. Standards is very diffi 
different model here from other jurisdictions, as in Scotland and Wales, um, where there are separate bodies investigating and adjudicating. Mm-hmm. Here, we investigate in this office and I adjudicate in relation to a, a case where there's potentially a breach of the code. So I have to make, I make a, a binding finding mm-hmm. of a breach mm-hmm. and I can impose sanction subject to the oversight and, and appellate oversight in the High Court. I see. And Marie, let me just take you to a, another place. Let me ask you for a moment to consider this horrible prospect. And that is that the Public Services Ombudsman in Northern Ireland doesn't exist. Why would we miss you? Why would Joe Public, why should Joe Public be concerned if that was the case? Well, in the past, I've often said if we didn't have an ombudsman, we'd have to create it. Why? Because the public, having complained to a body and remaining unhappy uh, about the service they've received, Mm -hmm. how they've been treated, how their loved one has been treated, Mm -hmm. about their care and treatment... If they don't get the answer that they want, or they don't think that they are being, or they think there's been cover-up, they want to go to someone independent, mm-hmm. totally independent of the the public service provider, and they want an impartial and an independent investigation. Okay. But sometimes they could go to a court, couldn't they? And they could take judicial legal action. So, what's the advantage to them of having a, a choice of you or? The legal system or well, first of all if someone chooses to go to to a court then we will not investigate or we will not continue investigation if mm-hmm. we started one so there is a there is a difference I'm an alternative to a court that's the ombudsman is an alternative so what are they looking for they're not looking for compensation when they come here they're looking for answers it's about a search for the truth very often it's about a feeling that something has gone wrong that potentially the body is trying to cover it up and someone needs to uncover that. And that's why they come. And also, it's clear from the people who complain to the office, because that's one of the first questions we ask them, what outcome do you seek? Mm-hmm. And the outcome very often that they seek is they don't want the mistake or the failure to happen to anyone else mm-hmm. ever again. So it's about putting it right. And when you say they're not looking for conversation, is, is that your experience? Yes, it is my experience. Yeah. I mean, if some t- I can recommend what we call a consolatory payment, mm-hmm. which is could be a payment for time and trouble or for expenses that shouldn't have been um, uh, paid by the individual because of the feeling it was it was necessary. But I do think that what they say they want really is for it never to happen again. So we say back to what is an ombudsman mm-hmm. investigating mm-hmm. complaints, yeah. reporting on complaints. But recommending changes, yeah. recommending improvements, saying, had you thought about this yeah. body, could you do it this way? Mm-hmm. So it is it is very much about trying to make it better for the future. Mm-hmm. And um, Marie, I said in the... And sorry, one of the things I should have said actually yeah. is where in some cases I've actually recommended a payment, yeah. that sometimes the complainant comes back and says, we d- I don't want it. I'm giving it to charity well, or, you know, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. I came here for answers. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And um, Marie, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I said in the introduction, you've worked as the assistant data commissioner. You've worked uh, public services ombudsman. Um, you've been recommended to become the new police ombudsman. Um, I'm curious, what is it about human rights 
personal privacy and public accountability that you find so compelling? Well, I, I'm going to go back here to why I became a lawyer, mm -hmm. actually. And I do believe it is, um, and I don't want it to sound grandiose, but I think it is a search for the truth and actually about fixing injustice, and where I see it. Where did that come from, do you think? Well, it came from a personal experience, actually, as a child, as a, as a young, a young um, first year um, in, a, in a grammar school. I was wrongly accused of stealing um, another girl's um, indoor school. Huh? They had been misplaced, you know, the indoor school shoes, they'd been misplaced. Okay. But I was called out of assembly and I felt humiliated by mm -hmm. the accusation yeah. and it stuck with me because there's nobody to stand up for me. Goodness me, wow. So that was a very strong sense of injustice yeah. and unfairness. And I think it, it drove me to want to be a lawyer, to want to be an advocate. But then my path has changed to, to, to be a decision maker yeah. around yeah. areas where I see unfairness. Yeah. Wow, it's a bit like a, what was it, a Winslow boy moment, a young person at school who got wrongly accused and stayed Wrongly with accused them. Yeah. and yeah. the impact. Yeah. And, you know, the, the hurt that was felt and the vulnerability and then the feeling that I had nobody, no one was going to believe me. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And um, since taking up the post of Public Services Ombudsman, you've had to investigate and report on some very complex and difficult issues. You have significant powers of investigation. You can recommend that public bodies apologise or, or um, pay uh, compensation to individuals. Um, but your own powers can be scrutinised by the courts as well. Um, you've also faced a lot of public criticism recently um, and by one high-profile BBC journalist in particular. Now, we don't have time to discuss, I'm afraid, any of, of this, but I raise them because I think they illustrate very well the level of responsibility that comes with the post that you're in here, the very public criticism that you face, the sorts of pressures that you are under every day in conducting your work. Um, and I've three areas I'd like to take you into here, Marie, which are relevant to this. And I'm sorry it's a very long question. But the first relates to how you handle criticism. Um, whenever we get criticised, it seems to me that we have a number of options. We can ignore it completely. Um, we can filter it for the stuff that we should be listening to. Or we can spend a lot of time reflecting on it all. I'm just curious... Which of those three relates to you? I think um, reflecting, or uh, reflecting, but I don't have the time to spend a lot of time reflecting. I have to get on with my mm -hmm. job. I, you know, I, I my response to that criticism was initially, um, I was quite, um, I was quite confused by the fact that it was uh, a challenge to uh, my decision not to publish a report mm -hmm. when in fact um, I have you know over the past year published 32 um, investigation reports yeah. um, which is high is a high incidence of publication compared with other ombudsmen with similar powers over this over a similar period of time and yet there was no interest in what I'd actually published 
it was what I hadn't published. Yeah. So, but I, reflecting on it, um, I believe some of it is actually um, due to a misunderstanding yeah. of my role yeah. and a misunderstanding of an area of which I am passionate about, which is the area of confidentiality. People come to this office with the most sensitive information. Mm -hmm. um, bodies share information with us that they don't want us to share with others yeah. or they don't want to go out into the public domain. So I have to protect that confidentiality and still maintain the balance between that and they need to be transparent. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there's, there's, there's maybe, I reflect on it and say maybe there's some more work that we could do to yeah. explain more, um, you know, the balance between the confidentiality of our investigations yes. and the public nature of the reports. Okay, and would you go to colleagues or, or family and sort of say, look, I, I'm getting a lot of criticism in this area. What do you think? Oh, I would always go to colleagues. Yeah. I wouldn't go to family with my work. My yeah. work is my work, yes, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's that's not something I would go to families with. But I, I did and I do go to other colleagues. A very mm -hmm. important part of the ombudsman uh, network mm -hmm. um, that I'm a part of. And, you know, we've had a conference next week with 130 ombudspeople, ombudsmen, okay. landing in Belfast. Right. Um, and that network of not only the international ombudsmen and their experience, um, but also locally the UK ombudsmen uh, reflecting on their different practices yeah. in relation to publication. But ultimately, you know, I'm the decision maker. Yeah. You know, yes. ultimately, I will reflect. Yeah. I will take legal advice. Um, what has the public criticism taught me? Resilience. Yes. It is. You know, I've learned resilience through that. Mm -hmm. Previously, the um, the other ombudsmen in these offices, there was no visibility or very little yes. visibility yeah. because they didn't have the power to publish. Um, but you know, but I've learned resilience. Mm -hmm. And have you ever felt it's it's felt it personally have you ever felt some oh of course I like felt it personally attack? I felt it very personal yes yeah. it was very personal it is very personal when you're being called out um, your name is being called yeah. out um, but then I have to take that as part of the the responsibility of the, of the role mm -hmm. and Marie the second area I wanted to ask you about is is how you take big decisions, because in your work there's a lot of big decisions, many of which could really trip you up if, if you got them wrong. Um, do you have anything like a, a decision-taking model that you work off? Is there a process that you follow, or is a lot of it about a gut feeling when it comes to a, a decision in front of you? I don't have a decision-making framework. It's mm -hmm. not a tick-box exercise mm -hmm. at its heart, yeah. and I think it's what I... And um, what, what drives me is my love of attention to detail. Yeah. So I will, I, I want to know about the detail. Yeah. I want to know about the detail about individual cases. Uh, and I want to know why things went wrong and to understand them. Yeah. So it is about attention to detail. And then I step back and I think about the individual, how, the, what they have experienced. But I also think about, the sort of pressures on the public service provider. Yeah. So that impartiality needs comes to to come to a balancing exercise yeah. between the individual's complaint, what actually happened, yeah. what should have happened, and then I always talk about the gap is maladministration. Yes. And um, and it's not a, a framework per se, but 
But over layered over all of this is when it comes to the big decision, mm-hmm. um, like to publish my first ever public interest report in February of last year yeah. about um, you know the, the failings in relation to monitoring of late night flights at Belfast, George Bell's mm-hmm. Belfast City Airport. Big, big decision. First in 50 years of ombudsman yeah. um, to, that, that there has been a public interest report published. I have to then dig deep. I do dig deep and I think about my values. Yeah. So... Um, despite the criticism I've had, a fundamental value is about openness and transparency yeah. and the need to to do my job and yes. hold people to account. Okay. And just staying with that particular matter and that, that decision to um, publish that report, um, in the office, for example, did you... Before you took that decision, did you go and talk to a colleague? Did you call a senior team in and sort of say, help me with this? Um, no. What was the process? No, the process is that, um, you know, our processes here are that all complaints go through a sift, yeah. a sifting process to see if uh, they are, are, are significant enough to require full investigation, mm-hmm. can a practical outcome be achieved, and is it, is it in the public interest? But the right from the beginning, the um, there were clearly public interest issues there, yeah. um, and and there were clearly public interest issues around the impact on the individuals, say, you know, in East Belfast and the Sydenham area, mm-hmm. what they were experiencing, the public interest in ensuring that yeah. the regulation of this particular activity, you know, that that it was properly regulated. So, the, so the public interest. I work closely with the investigator and my director of investigations, who are absolutely excellent individuals. Who, you, of course, they test. They test me. Mm-hmm. They challenge me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as I say, I had to, to to think deeply about what it is I wanted to achieve in terms of um, putting this report out in the public domain. Mm-hmm. And Marie, finally, in this area, I'm, I'm curious how you look after yourself in, the, in this role and um, maintain your your best personal effectiveness if I, if I can put it like that do you do you have a coach do you have a, a mentor do you do any coaching yourself do you do any mentoring um, well those are two questions or well, a couple of questions first of all how, how do I look after myself um, I I'm I wouldn't say I'm a religious person but I do pray quite a lot for okay. for wisdom okay to whoever's out there yeah and um, some people called it mindfulness Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I reflect and meditate quite a bit. Um, I do you do that before you come in, or at the end of the day? No, sometimes at lunchtime I go to church. Well, quite frequently I go to church and sit and yeah, yeah, and think about difficult decisions and well. try to, to 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 step outside. Um, how do I um, protect myself personally? I I, I realise that. Um, that I'm only, you know, I'm only one person, mm-hmm. and I, I believe that the team in here, that the very strong team that I have, that they are, I have good people around me, and any leader will tell you that. Yeah. Any leader will tell you that they, yeah, you lead, but you need followers, but you need talented and committed people behind you, and mm-hmm. I have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. Um why I mentioned coaching others or mentoring yes, others, I'm, a lot of people often say they get 
a lot from that because it yeah. actually helps their. Well, I have a great, I have a great. Uh, the former ombudsman, Dr. Tom Frawley, is is I would say would have been my mentor in terms of keeping me right. Sometimes yeah. he'll ring me up and say, "I think you were a bit harsh there." Okay. Um, and so okay. you know, so he reflects, but um, he was very supportive of me in my role. Um, I am, um, for me, for young up and coming leaders, male or female. I think mentoring is very important. Mm-hmm. I'm very supportive of that. I've recently arranged for, for one of my members of staff to be mentored by a, a senior civil servant. I don't see anything cosy about that. I think I look at leaders across the public and private sector yeah. and see that, that, that my staff can learn. I have mentored. Yes. I have mentored, um, uh, you know, some people and yeah. I liked, I like to do that. That's okay. giving back. Yes, okay. And in in your style of leadership of the, of the office, would you say um, it's more a coaching style or, or command and control style or do you switch between the I two? I switch between. Others? It depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm generally, I would say I'm a consultative. I mm-hmm. will listen to other views, but then I will you know, arrive at my own decision. You know, I have a bit of a phrase that at senior management team meetings, they know I've had enough when I say, this is not a democracy, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you, yeah. but, you know, actually yeah. the buck okay. stops with me and this is the decision. Yeah. And generally, people, if you've listened, if yeah. you know, I listen and I'm able to deal with the challenges, generally they will accept. Yeah. But it it, it is a key leadership skill, isn't it? Knowing... When you've consulted enough and you've heard enough views and you then are in a position to take a decision. And also, I think, to think not to get lost in that process and think, okay, I'm looking for the majority view here, which Mm. I think is a big and easy mistake for many leaders. It is an easy mistake. And there is an element of what what happens with experience is that your instincts are honed, if you like, I would say honed to a particular, um, to, to take you to a particular decision. Yeah. And it is your experience, and I believe it's my experience at the end of the day, that gives me credibility so that my senior management team are all very able individuals, so that at the end of the day, they'll say, well, that's your experience and mm-hmm. that's your decision and we respect it. Yeah. There's an element of instinct in there yeah. that is, is the gut that, yeah. that is just inexplicable. Yeah, it's absolutely. just inexplicable. It yes. just is there. Yes. And, and, and the times that I've gone against my instinct, I, I have, it has proven, you know, it has proven to be perhaps the wrong path that okay. I've taken in relation to decision making. Okay. So I constantly reflect on the fact that actually my instincts are pretty good. Yes. I, I don't put that down to some sort of sixth sense, yeah. but I put it down to experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, Marie, we talked about coaching and mentoring, the value that um, you, you see there. I wonder, what else do you do for your own learning and development? Um, is it books? Is it podcasts? Is it um, seminars and conferences? And how formal is that structure, or is it really quite informal? Well, I, last year I, I started, unfortunately, didn't com- complete the Solicitor's Advocacy course, um, that the Law Society run, and I really, really enjoyed that. Learning is continuous. Mm-hmm. Learning is must be continuous. Um, I do read quite widely, yeah. 
and you know I, fiction I, I, non-fiction or both or, yeah. both last I, you know last night I got a friend from a book called Think which is or Thick sorry Thick which is about people that don't have a voice so and and I'll always you know in 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 when I'm feeling particularly stressed I go back to the classics I love uh, Jane Austen I love uh, Jane Eyre yeah. I'm a big fan of Tolkien yeah. and yeah, so I'd say my favourite book is Anna Karenina. But I mean, yeah, I do go back to literature, but I read widely. Yes. Um, it's always useful to go outside your comfort zone and, mm. and see how people are thinking in other in other areas. Okay. So, yeah, sometimes the conference choices are not around ombudsman necessarily. Yeah. They could be around transformational leadership. Yeah. You know, I did a course, um, not a course, it was a day's workshop on leadership in the Civil Service College in London, yeah. and I got so much out of that. Right. I got so much out of that, yeah. uh, focusing on your own leadership style, mm-hmm. but actually just saying, you know, learning learning what I probably knew already, which leaders are of their context. Yes, yes, okay. And um, uh, can I ask you in terms of day-to-day and coming in the office and coming in as the most effective version of Marie Anderson that there is. Is there any process that you go through, any ritual in the morning that gets you fired up and working off all cylinders as soon as you're in the office? Um, Talking to the staff. Talking to the staff, okay. Um, Talking to the staff, either if there's a case that needs moved on or something needs to be progressed, or talking to the staff if they've a particular problem. I like problem solving. I think that, but talking to the staff gives me energy. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, they are so committed and motivated. Everybody has down days. Mm-hmm. When I come into this office and feel, and I've got a down day, and I feel the energy yeah. that people are willing me to to do okay. to be the best for yes. Anderson. Okay. That that is very you okay. know that, and and it, it works both ways. I think. But before you come in, are you? Yeah, I walk the dogs. Jogging. You, I walk the dogs. Okay. I walk my two lovely Yorkshire Terriers okay. who bark at everything in sight. <laughs> right. So I, that that helps me mentally order my thoughts. It's only fifteen or twenty minutes yeah. in the day, and it helps me get a little checklist. Yes, okay. Of um, what do I have to do first? Right, and um, as I think you you know, Marie, I was talking to a work colleague of yours earlier this week in preparation for this interview. And she said this to me. She said, quote, Marie sometimes says, I think I should do this, but the ego in me tells me to do something else. But I don't think she has an ego. Um, close quote. So for this question, Marie, I'm going to ask you to practice no ego and to completely put aside your own modesty. And I know from what you've told me in this interview how much you value the truth. So I want you to be as truthful as you can to this um, question. I know you've got a new venture coming up, which is um, that you've been recommended for the um, post of police ombudsman. So at some point, relatively soon, you'll be leaving this post. What do you believe your legacy is going to be to this post? To this post? Yes. The legislation that I helped develop and pushed and coaxed and cajoled people to 
people, the assembly, the the committees in the assembly, the MLAs, the the civil servants mm-hmm. that I had to talk to to explain that own initiative isn't really that scary. It's the legislation. Okay. It's the legislation. It's there in the statute books. Never going to go away. Okay. And it's the legislation more than a big case that you felt was really important. I've had a number of big cases. Mm-hmm. I've had a number, and I, I don't. I don't want to 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 select one in particular. Back to legislation, one of the things reflecting now further on your question is that the local government standards regime in Northern Ireland um, was is, is unique yeah. and was a real challenge to get it up and working properly. Yeah. Legislation 2014 Councils having gone through uh, local government reform, mm-hmm. new councillor code of conduct, and making that work and breathing life into it and yeah. interpreting it and saying, do you know, when you have a conflict of interest, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And this is the meaning of that provision in the code. Yes. I think that reflecting back that five years of work, mm-hmm. which began long before that, actually began in two thousand and nine, yeah. with the consultation on the legislation. I think, I think I'm 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 quite proud of that. It's yeah. not an area where again I'm not I'm not popular. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the councillors would like to see me gone mm-hmm. along with the code, but I'm, right. I'm quite proud of what right. I've done. I, I guess that was going to be my last question in, the, in this space. Do you think anyone will be glad to see the back of you? Do you think heads of trusts um, will be sleeping better at night saying to themselves, thank goodness that woman's gone and she's out of my bap, as we say in Northern Ireland? I think they might think that as their first thought, but I think mm. one, I think, I hope, and I believe from feedback I've had, that both in my role now and when I was Assistant Information Commissioner for Northern Ireland, I've been told, yes, we may not agree with you, but we know you're always fair. Right. Which is... Yeah, you gave us a fair opportunity. Yes, okay. Yeah, yes. you gave us a chance to respond. Yes. You listened. Sometimes yes. you change your decision. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Which is kind of like the organisational equivalent of the leader saying, it's not important that you like me, but it is important you respect me. Isn't that it? Yes. It's that sort of thing that you're aiming for, that they respect how you do your work, and um, even if they don't like the result, they've still got respect for your institution. I think that's very important. Mm. I went to the leaders across Mm. the public service mm. in Northern Ireland with whether it's the Perma Secretaries Group or yeah. the yeah. Chief Executives of Health Trusts or school principals um, or local government chief executives is that uh, you know that, that they, they say I, I don't necessarily agree with you mm-hmm. but I you know I respect you and I, I think that's that's where also from staff respect from staff yeah. comes down very that's very close to my heart mm-hmm. that's the biggest downside for me to leave in this office you know if the recommendation hopefully you know uh, sees the light of day yeah. is, is actually to leave the staff mm-hmm. in this office because mm-hmm. you know they've they've given me a lot of their time and their commitment mm-hmm. and marie we've got to this part of the interview right at the the end in which i've just got a, a few standard rapid fire 
questions that okay. I ask everybody that right. um, I interview. I hope I can answer them. The first one is this. Is there a book, podcast, DVD or resource that you felt so passionately about that you've actually given it to others? And if so, what was it? Yeah, the, the, the book and, and the DVD that I've given to others is Big Little Lies by mm. Leanne Moriarty. Mm. Um, I mean, I love the, the, the book. It's very well structured, well written, but it's the story of three women three strong women struggling with relationships okay and and in some instances balancing that with um careers right so i i i i that has resonance with me yeah yeah and and then the dvd you know i just love nicole kidman reese witherspoon um you know and what they they brought to to all of that wasn't it also about an investigation it was about it was about uh yeah a murder investigation yeah it was about and big little lies back to what we talked about you know about the finding the truth so Mm. what actually we get beneath the you know what actually was going on there you hear different versions from different witnesses different Mm. um players and yeah it it, that that's is about an investigation you're right Barry. thank you if you could hang a banner with huge letters on it from Harland and Wolf Cranes for a whole year, what would it say? Well, that's interesting that you say Harland and Wolf Cranes for a whole year because my father worked in Harland and Wolf. Did he know? So okay. did my brother. Wow. So, um, so yeah, so they were shipyard workers. And, and, and back to the, the link to the family, yeah, the banner would be, and I, I, this is going to sound dreadfully pretentious, but it is my family motto, the yeah. Maguire motto, which is justice and fortitude are invincible. Wow. Um, and the fortitude piece I've learned yeah. through the personal criticism that we've spoken about mm-hmm. and, and through people challenging my judgments, my decisions mm-hmm. and my views. And do you think you've always had a, a tough inner core or is it something that you've, you've really had to develop? No, I've always place? had a tough inner core. Okay. I've always had a tough one record. And where did that come from? Parents or schooling or? or? Uh, yeah, I think it came from the loss of my father at the age of 12. Um, wow. And my mother uh, was widowed and the rest of the family had were married, had, had left. And it was a sense of, I have to make this, I have to make this yeah. work yeah. for me. We we didn't have very much yeah. i had education and and i knew that that was my route yeah. out of you know where i yeah, was where yeah but i think you know my father was a very strong character and i think i get a lot from him and from my mother who had a great uh, love of literature mm-hmm. and next question is the one belief habit or practice that has propelled you forward more than anything else and if so what is it attention to detail and you know the devil is in the details even when i was a litigation solicitor what made the difference sometimes in a case whether you won it Mm -hmm. or lost it was you know the the failure to attend to look at the detail Uh, and and right through my whole career information ombudsman um it's it's been looking at the detail it drives my staff nuts but this morning, um, you know, I had a challenging talk with an investigator and she said, yeah. you pay more attention to the detail, Marie, than I, than I do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's maybe not something that traditionally leaders are seen. Yeah. I suppose I'm more of a doing leader. Yeah. Um, traditionally, leaders might be seen as at a, at a very high level. The vision. And yeah, the, the vision. Um, you know, creation. it's important to, yeah. to, to deal with the vision. But... For me, you only have credibility if you can do the work that your staff does. 
Okay, that's interesting. So you're you're very much a sort of sleeves up and hands get on. stuck on a hands-on yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. And finally, Marie, um, when was the last time you cried for a positive reason? Well, it was uh, a few weeks ago when I had to tell my staff that I was being recommended for the role of police ombudsman for Northern Ireland. I had to tell them that. Mm-hmm. Um, I called them all together. It was a Friday afternoon in the conference room here and I had to tell them that and once I told them it I said I, I have to go and cry now. So right. And you Julie went away and, and did? Yes. Yeah, yeah, because um, you know, i this has been um a, a big part of my life for the last ten yeah. years. Yeah. I've worked hard to create and shape the public services ombudsman office yeah. and and my staff have come with me and yeah. I'll you know, I just yeah. I just yeah. miss them. Yeah. Uh, Maria, I think that last answer says a lot about um, who you are and uh, the approach you've taken to this post. And it really is fascinating to to listen to um, you and your explanation and your your answers and what's been going on in this um, office. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I particularly um, appreciate your frankness because you really have shared some great stuff um, with us. And um, that really, I think, took some courage. And I'm sure a lot of people will um, listen to this podcast and get a huge amount from it. So thank you very much indeed. Okay, Barry. Thank you very much. Thank you.